I am in part 21 of This Is Us. Part 21. I thought I'd get a little bit more excited and shout than that. Part 21. I started this thing the first week of December. Are y'all hearing me? By the way, I felt led, led of the Lord here recently. And as I was talking to Bishop Clint this morning, he called me this morning before church. We talked for a while. And, I, and he confirmed some things in me. He gave me a confirmation. I think I'm going to write a book called This Is Us. Praise God. I think I'm going to write a book. I'm serious. I think, that, I think I've, been, I've been waiting on my next book. And let me just, I'm not, I'm not saying 100% whether it be the next book or the third book. But I can tell you this morning, I told the Lord, I'm going to write a book about This Is Us. Praise God. Come on. I'm talking about not just us. This is us, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. All over the world, people are going to read it and they're going to know who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to walk and how we're supposed to talk and how we're supposed to operate. Can somebody help me? In 21 parts, we have, we, we give, we give first. These are the parts. We love, we connect, we have favor, we praise, we are planted, we believe, we are focused, we sacrifice, we finish strong, we build, we believe in resurrection power, we fast, we are tied to the post, we'll be back, we are proof, we are transformed, and we have burned the plow. Come on, somebody. Today, number one on your notes is this, this is us, we are the majority. We are the majority. I tell you what, we're in a politically charged atmosphere right now. Everybody's trying to sway the church in what we believe and, and trying to cause us for the sake of, of being, uh, <clears throat> what they call that, uh, politically correct and all of this. They want the preachers to water down the gospel and they say things like this. The church is in the minority. The church is no longer relevant. Uh, Christianity is on its way out. Can I tell you something? something I come to tell you today that even if the numbers are true and that's not true but even if the numbers were true if there was maybe even only 10% in the church that there used to be we are still the majority because I got news for you us plus God is a majority come on somebody listen we don't have to have the numbers in the natural we got the numbers in the spiritual Oh, I'm preaching good with my voice. I'm, I'm doing everything I can do to preach. And you, y'all thought you'd shout and help me a little bit more. Somebody shout, we are the majority. One of my favorite subjects and all favorite stories in all the word of God illustrates what God's majority looks like. It's found in the book of Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. I'll put it on the screen, and when I start reading, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat up under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah. I mean, no, Ophrah, praise God. Not Oprah, praise God. Ophrah. Today, you get a sermon, and you get a sermon, and you get a sermon, and you get a sermon. You all get a sermon. Some of y'all got that joke. Some of y'all have no idea. Set up under the tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Asbiz, right? Blah, blah, blah. With his son, Gideon. Now watch this. While his son, Gideon, threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, watch what he says. Then why has all this happened to us? Ooh, some of that sound like some of y'all. And where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? You ever been there? I've been there. I'm tired of reading about miracles. I'm ready to walk in some miracles. Huh? I'm tired of the stories. Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said to him, listen to what he said. Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Look at your neighbor and tell him he's preaching to you. Mm-hmm. If you didn't tell anybody that he's preaching, that, that I'm preaching to them, then that you just told on yourself I'm preaching to you. He said, now watch this, go in this mind of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midians. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan, my group is the weakest in Manasseh. And I, not number one, our group is the weakest. And of the weakest group, I am the least in all of my father's house. Are y'all hearing me, church? And the Lord said unto him, he, God, how many of us, God is not moved by your negativity when, he ta- when he's trying to tell you about you. You don't get to decide who you are. You don't get to decide your purpose. You don't get to decide your potential. Surely, the Lord said, surely I will be with you and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. Look at somebody say, you plus God is a majority. Mm. The first thing I want you to notice that this blows my mind when you think about it. The Bible says the angel of the Lord came down and sat up under a tree and just started chilling. And what? But he was on purpose. He was watching. Are y'all hearing me? Gideon work. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission against this anti-biblical, anti-godly teaching that if you are in the ministry, you ain't never going to work. That ain't biblical. People say, well, well, you know what? If it feels like work, it's not ministry. No, honey, if it don't feel like work, it's not ministry. Huh? If it feels, oh, tiptoe through the tulips. I mean, if it feels like, oh, this is just, let me tell you something, you're probably out of the will of God. If you ain't under attack, you need to get to the altar. The devil is messing with those who is working with for the Lord. Oh, see, watch this. He was concerned with the work. The next thing on your notes is this. The Lord is watching you work. Now, I know you can't work and earn your salvation. That ain't what I'm talking about. If you could have done that, he wouldn't have come and died. But I'm talking about once you have been born again, the Bible says, work while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. He said, James said, faith without is dead. He said, you show me your faith by your words, I'll show you my faith by my actions. See, the name Gideon means hewer 
or a person or a miner who cuts wood or stone. See, Gideon, even his name meant he was defined as a worker. Now, something interesting about what we just read. The Bible says that he was threshing. You may have read right over it. He was threshing what? Wheat. But where was he threshing it? In the wine press. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You thresh wheat in the open. If, listen, when, you, when I went to, um, to uh, Nepal, when we were in the area that we was in Nepal, it was amazing. It was like stepping back in time 2,000 years because there were little villages where there was no power, there was no running water, nothing, and there was fields of wheat. And we actually got to see them with the sickle in the field. There was no machines. It was people. As far as you could see, there'd be families out there just, just threshing the sickle into the wheat, and they'd wrap them up with rope, and you'd see these women and it's so strange to me. You never seen the men carrying the weed. It was the women carrying the weed. That sounds sort of like the church is today. Wheat, come on, somebody, carrying the load of the house. While men are meeting Jesus on the lake or on the golf course. But another sermon, another day. And you, you see them women carrying that wheat, and they throw it down on a big rock or an open area and then they had this uh thing that they would beat it with and they would just that's what's called threshing and they would just they would hit the wheat and they'd have a, a tarp underneath it and as the wheat would release the little pieces of the wheat would release from the stalk then they would sift it and they would pull it out and they would have the wheat that's how you thresh wheat and you do it in the open because it's dusty are you hearing me but yet here is Gideon doing it and the wine press. Why is that significant? Because the wine press is not in the open. The wine press is behind barriers. There's in a special place. Might even be inside someone's courtyard or someone's home. He was hiding from the Midianites. He did not want to see the Midianites threshing the wheat because he knew if he did it in the open, they would come and they would steal it. And not in addition to that, he was afraid and intimidated with his ability to defend it. He didn't even think he could defend the wheat. And here is God telling him, you're going to defend a nation. Come on, do you hear me? See, the wine press is the place of pressure. A wine press is when you'd get in and you'd stomp on the grapes or you'd press the grapes and you'd completely compress, compress, compress until the juice comes out. Are y'all hearing me? You ever been in a place where you felt like you was in a wine press? I have. I felt like I was in the bottom of a wine press and a whole city was stomping on me, praise God, trying to get every little ounce of juice out of me they could get out of me. The wine press is not a place of pleasure. It's a place of pressure. The next thing you'll notice is this. Sometimes God must apply pressure to release your purpose. If you're in the wine press, quit rebuking the wine press. Quit trying to climb out of the wine press and just trust that if God has allowed you to be in the wine press, he's trying to get something out of you that you don't need in you. Or he's trying to get something out of you that you didn't even think was in you. See, some of you don't even think you're even worthy for the cause 
Gideon didn't think he was worthy. Gideon was called a mighty man of valor. And he said, my tribe is the weakest. And of my tribe in my family, I am, it is well known that I am the least expected to succeed. Expected to be anything. That's why I'm hiding. I'm not just hiding from the Midianites. I'm hiding from the village. I'm hiding from my family. Are you hearing me? Next thing on your notes is this. I'm going fast, ain't I? I'm doing good. God calls you mighty when you still think you are weak. In fact, it is in your weakness, the Bible says, Paul said, it is in your weakness that God is made strong. So we got it backwards. We think our weakness disqualifies us. We think our weakness labels us something, our brokenness labels us something outside of qualified. But God said, when you, now I'm not talking about speaking negative over your life and, and calling, always walking and saying negative things about you, but when you are in a place of brokenness, it should be a place of teaching. The Bible says, new wine is symbolic of what God is doing when he's doing a new thing. You know, you don't get new wine by going to the top shelf of the local bar. You get new wine from the threshing floor because new wine has been freshly pressed. Mm. See, when the angel says God is with you and calls him a mighty man of valor, Without hesitation, Gideon response. Response is not just that he's unqualified. He then judges God and says, if I'm so good and you're so good and you're so powerful and you're so amazing and I'm so amazing and God's hand is on us so greatly, then why did you let this happen to us? Check one. Check two, just making sure my mic didn't cut out because I think I just walked in some of y'all's kitchen. Why? If you're such a loving God, I'll hear it all the time. If God's such a loving God, why does he let people die of cancer? Why does he let people, hungry babies die and all this? That has nothing to do with the loving God. Has everything to do with mankind's decision to listen to the stupid devil and the earth is cursed. You want to know the heart of God? You want to know the will of God? Look, look at what he talks about where he dwells. He says, there's no tears where I'm at. There's no sickness where I'm at. And he says, listen, I'm bringing you to where I'm at. But because of what you've done, you've got to go through some things down there. But I, I've not left you just because you're going through hell on earth don't mean that I'm not with you. Good preaching. It is in our nature as humans to push back on God when he's trying to stretch us. When he's trying to stretch us, I mean, no, stretching is not a comfortable thing. Now, some of you are great athletes. And some of you ain't run a mile. I started to say in 10 years, some of y'all ain't never ran one in your life. And if you stretch to get ready, and you do that for your athletic events or whatever every day, 
it still pushes you a little bit, but I mean, you can do things you used to couldn't do and don't hurt as bad. But how many of those, if you spend months and years since you stretched and you used to lay your hands flat, y'all might not believe this, but just about three or four years ago, I could lay both my hands flat. You still, nah. well, good one. Let's see how far I can go now. I could touch the floor, but I'm going to tell you something. The back of my legs was screaming at me. You are 51 years old, old man. What are you doing to me? How many of us, when you stretch something, not just move it. How many of us, it doesn't, it's not painful if you don't have a, an issue there with arthritis or whatever. Just typically with no, no known bone or muscle issues, when you move something, it doesn't typically hurt. But when you stretch it beyond what is natural for it, you feel pain. And the first thing you do is you want to snap back and stop it. Because the fear is, if I go much further, I'm going to break something. But God said, in the spirit realm... It's different. I need to stretch you to the place that you think you're going to break. And then I need you to let me stretch you a little more. Because here's the thing. When you pull back at the point of pain, when you think you're going to hurt yourself, that's your built-in defense mechanism that stops you from ever going beyond what you think you have the ability to go beyond. But God said, I need you to stretch yourself as far as you can stretch yourself. And then when you get to that place where you are broken, you are weak, you feel like you're, about, you're, you're being pressed, let me grab you and then let me stretch you even further. Because I'm going to show you this is God talking. I'm going to show you that I know your breaking point. You don't. You think you know your breaking point better than God. You'll tell God, I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that because I'm not qualified for that. But if you could hear God, God will be saying, uh, who put you in charge? You don't get to tell me what you can do and what you can't do. If you'll listen to me, I'll tell you what you can do. And every time it will be beyond what you think you can do. In fact, if your vision makes sense, it's not God's vision. If your dream can be accomplished in the natural, if you can make a spreadsheet to, to make it all make sense, if you can design a formula to pay for it, it is not a God vision. It may be a God-inspired dream, but a God vision will always never make sense on the spreadsheet and the formula. Do you understand? A hundred people. That's all we had on a good day. We went to the Jefferson County Board of Education, of which two-thirds of our church was 18, 19, or under. How many of those 18, 19-year-olds ain't paying a whole lot of tithes in the church when they first start out? Huh? We went to a bank and, and bought the Rock School for $850,000 when we had never borrowed money beyond $100,000. And that was a miracle even then, years ago when we bought the hay barn. But $850,000, 12 banks told us no because it was impossible. Every one of them said, this is not possible. But you know what? If we'd have listened on the 11th bank, huh? 
if we'd have listened to what the world said on the 11th bank, we wouldn't be sitting in 50-50 vision because without us being able to buy the rock school, we'd have never been able to buy this building. Come on, y'all hear me. But let me tell you something. It seemed impossible. It was impossible. All my preacher friends even told me it was impossible. The ones I was trying to inspire me were secretly praying to God that I would run away, including my own pastor. Until he got out on the road after the day I took him through the dump heap. Saying, God, show me a way to tell him he needs to run. And God spoke to him and said, do you not remember praying that God would send a Holy Ghost church to the Pinson area? I'm trying to send it through your spiritual son and you're speaking against it. Well, I have felt unqualified throughout my life. I'm talking about from a child, I was told I was unqualified. I was told I was a bomb. I was told I would be no, not matter to anything. I believed it most of my life. And then my life changed by that smoking hot blonde that we just honored for the 30 years of agreeing to marry me. When she found out that everything that was prophesied over me, I believed it, I operated in it, and she found out I was a liar, I was a cheat, I was a manipulator. Everything that she thought I was was a facade. She was 19 years old, and I told her, I said, listen, you know the truth about me now. I'm going to destroy your life just the way I've destroyed my life. I know what's happening. I know me. Walk away. And she said, I'm not leaving. I said, why would you not leave? And she said, because when I look into your eyes, everybody say it with me, I see greatness in you. Come on. Let me tell you something. When she said that, do you believe that the next day, all of a sudden, I believed I was a great man of God? Absolutely not. I still was unqualified. I'm 51 years old and I still feel unqualified. But what I've learned is God uses the unqualified. In fact, you know what I'm learning even more? More and more I'm seeing the more qualified you are, the less likely you are to be used and a level of influence in this generation because people tend to want to follow somebody who's been through something. I'm not saying he can't use you if your life's been perfect and you got saved in vacation Bible school and you've been living for Jesus ever since. But let me tell you something. Would you not agree that when you hear somebody give a testimony about how they was headed to hell, how they was went to prison, how they was a drug addict, how they was doing this and doing that, but God, hallelujah. When you hear but God, praise God, it just turns something around and you start saying, well, my God, if God could do that for him, maybe he could do something for me the next thing in your notes is this God will always see more in you than you see in yourself always see in Gideon's frightened state he disqualified himself ain't got time to preach this but I'll read this but I'll tell you that right after that he stands up he begins to he still don't believe it but he begins to operate in some things a little bit more faith and he, and he sees that, that he knows that God can't bless them because many in the city are worshiping Baal. 
So he goes in and he tears down the altars of Baal. He understands that I cannot do what God's called me to do until I deal with the sin that is around me. Thank you, Janice. She's the only one that clapped and said amen. How many knows? How many knows? We all want what God wants for us, but we don't want to deal with the issues that is keeping us from operating in what God called us to operate in. And when he tore them down, watch what he said. Verse 34, the Bible says, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Hallelujah. He blew the trumpet and the Abirazites gathered behind him. How many knows he, he went from the weakest hiding? Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. But when he tore down the altars of Baal, he blew the trumpet. And the same ones that used to mock him and made fun of him got behind him and said, what are we going to do? Oh, leader. Next thing on your notes is you can't follow God with false gods in your way. Huh? You better get rid of the false gods. Some of, them, some of your false gods called Netflix. Some of y'all false God is called Facebook. Huh? Well, you get rid of that Facebook God, some of y'all's life. God knows that if we have any other gods reigning over us, we'll never be able to truly, truly follow his calling. Now watch this. When God got ready to use Gideon, watch what he did. He did it in an unusual way. This is the famous story. Verse Judges chapter 7 verses 2 through 22. I'm going fast. And the Lord said to Gideon, to Gideon the people who are with you are too many for me. Watch this. Everybody lined up behind him when he did something big. You better be careful who gets in your camp when God does something big in your life because they might just be following what you did and not who you are. There's a lot of people want to know my advice on things because I got this building. Huh? Other pastors all of a sudden think I'm relevant now because we got one of the largest churches in all of Birmingham facilities here. And they want to get my advice on something. And listen, I'll try to help them. But the truth is, I tried to help them when I was in the barn. Some of the same ones I tried to help them when I was working six days a week, 14 straight weeks, putting a rock school together. They didn't want to have nothing to do with me then because they thought I was going to go under. But when we got the building, all of a sudden they want to get behind me. Huh? If you don't want to have nothing to do with me in the barn... You ain't going to get the access that you think you're going to get in the cathedral. The people who are with you are too many for me. Mm. Why? He says, here's why. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. Let me tell you, sometimes God will remove things from your life that you wanted, you loved, and you thought you needed. So that when you finally do what you wanted to do, you can't give credit to a doctor. You can't give credit to a lawyer. You can't give credit to a pastor. You can only give credit to God. Let me tell you, I thank God for all of them, but God is not going to share his glory. Well... Now, if I go over a few minutes, I, you know, all y'all blame because y'all, y'all took so long and all that other stuff. Just kidding. Just kidding. 
Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, watch this, the first thing he said, whoever is fearful and afraid, go home. So he got 32,000, he got thousands come up to him. He says, the first thing I want you to do, if you are afraid to follow me into battle, turn and depart at once. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remain. 22,000 people said, I don't believe you got what, what we need. This is a good game plan. We're already outnumbered because they had already heard, the intelligence already heard that the Midianites had at least double, which is 64,000. 64 to 68,000, depending on who you, who you read. So, so at least double what they had at that point. And 22,000 people said, I'm afraid, and went home. He said, it's all right, it's all right, go home. 10,000 re remain. But then the Lord said to, the, to Gideon, the people are still too many. They still got an issue. I wish I had another 10 minutes. Here's how you find out. How are you going to get rid of this issue? The people are still too many. It's very strange. God, how many of those God works in strange ways sometimes? He says, bring them down to the water. And watch this. And I, not Gideon, I will test them for you. There. I care so much about you. Let me handle this test. All I need you to do is do what I tell you to do. Get them to the water. Just get them to the water and I will test them for you. Are you hearing me? <laughs> Woo! Then it will be that of whom I say to you. Notice these are not Gideon's decisions. This is God's decision. He says, then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. The same will go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you. The same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, I'm almost through. Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you will set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees, you will know how to stand and fight. The first thing a warrior knows, learns how to stand is he learns how to kneel. It's a, it's a humility. That's why we kneel before God. It's not just a ritualistic thing. It's a humility that we are broken and we are not worthy to stand eyeball to eyeball with our God. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their, the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. Only 300. But the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water like a dog. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go. Everyone back to their place. So he said, every one of you that's over here, you don't know why I separated you, but I'll tell you later, but the Lord told me to tell you, go home. 
He looks over here and he has 300 men. Started out with 32,000. He's down to 300 men. The enemy that they're about to fight has at least 64,000 trained soldiers ready to invade. The next thing on your notes is this. God doesn't want your faith tied to the natural. He wants your faith tied to him. Notice that the 300 was a direct result of the word of God. Remember, he said, I'll tell you who to set aside. That's the words of God. How many knows not everybody that says they're with you are with you? Some of them don't even know that it's time for them to go home. Mm -hmm. Fewer than 10% was still there after two tests. Let me tell you something about one of the reasons why. He talked, he said, as a dog laps. The next thing you notice is this. A dog that is lapping the water is not aware of its surroundings. A dog that is lapping the water is not aware of its surroundings. All it has is hearing, but the way a dog has to drink, his eyes have to go down to the water. He can only think about his provision. I don't know how many of you got dogs. I don't know if cats are this way. I don't think cats are this way. Cats are like their own thing. They, they do their own thing. You, 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 can't, you can't talk about a cat. But I can talk about a dog. My dog is, is unlike many dogs. He's, he's very shy. If you give him a treat, he doesn't want to eat the treat in front of you. He's so submissive, he'll sit there and look at you. He'll wait for you to walk away, and then he'll just sort of cut you a little side eye. He'll grab his treat and go hide behind something and eat the treat. Or he'll get in his crate and eat the treat. But the one thing he don't want nobody watching him do, y'all know what that is? Come on, I call it in my house, spend a little time with Jesus. Praise God. Boldly going to the throne. I asked Michelle, who is our resident animal expert, one time, I said, why is it that AJ, when I first got him, will not do it unless he's behind in the woods, away from it? She said, because animal experts will tell you that it is in the nature of a dog to know that that is his most vulnerable moment. He, he wants to hide. He wants to hide because he knows that when he's doing that, he, 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 is, a, he is prime for attack. Same thing with when a dog is nursing himself. He's, he's prime for attack. Most of the time they're very comfortable only eating in a certain place that they feel safe. Because they know that if they're... All they're thinking about is themselves. Are you with me? See, you got to make sure this. Make sure that when you go to battle, you don't go to battle with some lapping dog. Mm. See, one, one translation said that, that they lap the water carelessly. Do you understand when you break the word careless down, it means careless. They could care less about you. These people had faith because they, they went to battle. They didn't get afraid. Remember, they were not the fearful ones. The fearful ones already left. 10,000 said, I'm not afraid. Just because you've got somebody with you that's not afraid doesn't mean they're full of faith. And they're going to think of others. I'm going quickly. Next thing on your notes is when you go to battle, go to battle with somebody who has your back. Go to battle with somebody who has your back. You ever seen that movie, The 300? 
Let me tell you, I was, I was, I was studying this. I said, this is the real 300. Somebody needs to make a book about this, uh, make a movie about this 300. I'm hurrying. How many of those numbers of bodies don't equal faith? You can have a house full of people in a church and no miracles happening. And you can have 10 people in a church service and the blinded eyes open. Good Lord, it's 1208. This ain't my fault, y'all. Judges chapter 7, verse 15. I'm going to go fast. It says, and so it was that when Gideon heard the telling of the dream. And by the way, let me back up and say that they sent some spies into the camp. And they heard two of the soldiers sitting around a campfire talking about a dream they had. This is the Midianites. One of them said, I had a dream last night that a loaf of bread was rolling down a hill. And this loaf of barley bread was rolling down a hill and it took out the tent and it took out the whole camp. This piece of bread. What do you think that means? Probably one of them said, I think he probably went to bed hungry. But watch this. So so it was, you had to know that about that dream. So he came back and told Gideon about the dream. So it was in verse 15 when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. Watch this. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Because he knew what that dream meant. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies. One for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Ghost. And watch what he did. Into every one of the 300 people's hands, he put a trumpet in every man's hand. And in the other hand, he put an empty pitcher, like a pitcher of water, and put a torch inside the pitcher. So picture this, 300 men, trumpeted one hand, pitcher with a flame in the other. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch me and do what I do. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do what I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, that you blow the trumpet on every side of the camp. For the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, I want you to say it. So they surrounded the camp and stood on the mountain. They waited on the man of God. How many know some churches, they got so excited that they finally got their own thing. They had favor with the pastor. So they had their trumpet and they had their pot and they knew what they was going to do. They got ahead of the man of God and they started blowing their own trumpet and they crashed their own vase and they said things like this. I ain't got to wait on the pastor to obey the Lord. But he said, listen, if you want to win this battle, you better wait on me to blow my trumpet. You better wait on me to crash my vase. Because the Bible said it wasn't just the sword of the Lord. It was the sword of the Lord and Gideon. So they surrounded, and all of a sudden, the the Bible says Gideon took his trumpet and went, I sound like a rooster, praise God. He blew the trumpet, and then he crashed. He made a crashing noise. And when all the three camps heard it, they all blew their trumpets. They all crashed their vases. Fire began to light on the side of the mountain and they began to scream. Standing still, not invading the camp. Standing still, crying out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon has overtaken you. Now watch this. The Bible said they never even made it to the camp. That confusion began to arise in the camp of the Midianites. And everybody in the spirit around their eyes changed. And they thought their brother that they were sitting there eating fish with was an Israelite. And they pulled.
pulled out their swords and thrust it through their own brothers. And the Bible said the entire Midian camp was wiped out by themselves. Oh, come on. 300 people looked impossible. But it didn't even take one. All it took was one man doing what God told to do, telling 300 men and 300 men saying, I know it don't make sense, but my pastor said to blow a trumpet. I know it don't make sense, but my pastor said to break a vase. But when they all did it in unity, are you hearing me? God stepped in the camp. <laughs> blow the trumpet. Somebody shout, blow the trumpet. Somebody shout, break the vessels. See, Gideon's army stood still and praised while the enemies killed themselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The battle is not yours. The battle is mine, says the Lord. See, the, the key is, can you be broken and still be praising? Huh? What if your vessel gets broken? What if you don't get to be down in the camp? What if you don't get to be on the stage? Can you still blow your trumpet? Huh? Can you still burn? If you can burn and praise while you're broken, it will confuse the enemy. Huh? See, they just broke you. They just tore you up. They are outnumbering you. It don't make any sense that you're praising. It don't make any sense that you're shouting, the sword of the Lord is against you. The devil will just throw. Does he know something I don't know? Is there somebody? Is there something else happening that we don't know about? We better get out of here. We better get out of here because it don't make sense. So when you go back and read the original part of this story, it says the Midianites couldn't wait for this battle. They even in one translation said the Midianite captain, the, the, the general said, this is a dream fight for us. They didn't realize that that dream was about to be a nightmare. See, because here's something you got to know about that barley bread. Hmm? The barley bread was the poorest of all breads. Barley bread in that time was a combination of the remnants of all the bread that they had left in the house. And they mixed it all together. And they made the most worthless bread that you could possibly be. That's what barley bread was known as in that time. But yet in this dream, they saw the most worthless, useless, unqualified, unglamorous, nobody wants bread rolling down. And they're laughing at the bread as it's rolling down. You're going to bring barley bread against me, God? But how many knows it was the barley bread that took out the tent? See, we are the barley bread. We ain't in Los Angeles. 
We ain't in New York City. We ain't in Miami. We ain't in Atlanta. We ain't in some big city. We ain't even really in Birmingham, but we, call, we claim Birmingham. We in little old Pinson Barley Pinson. Look around. Made up of a bunch of different types of bread. Huh? Some of the pieces of bread look different than the one they're sitting next to. Some of them was raised different than the other ones was raised. We got some barley. We got some bread in here. Got a little bit of money. Got some bread in here. Ain't got no money. We got some bread in here driving top of the line. We got some bread in here. You had to hitchhike to get to church. Huh? But it don't matter. Because in this house, we are one loaf. Huh? Look at your neighbor and tell him, you're part of the barley bread, baby. And we're rolling. And we're rolling, rolling, rolling. Last thing on your notes is this. You plus God is always a majority. I tell you what, greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. Huh? I'm telling you right now, no matter what you're going through, blow your trumpet and crush your vessel. The fire is burning. The only way you can catch the woods on fire is you're going to have to break the vessel, praise God, to let the fire out. Get up on your feet all over this house right now and shout, Jesus, I'm ready. Now, let me tell you something. Don't sit down yet. Watch this. Let me tell you something. The Lord has given me a mission for me and for you. You need to decide how you're going to drink and, and partake of what you just partook of and what you partake of every Sunday. Are you going to come in here and lap like a dog? Careless? Only getting what you need? Or are you going to bring the water up to your face? Do you understand the significance of why that matters? Because when you are doing your hands like this, you're still getting water. But you can still, your attention is not on you. Your attention is on your brothers and your sisters. You're able to say, hey, 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 I see an attack coming against you. But how many knows you can't help your brother out when you're like this? Let's, let's just try something real quick. It's 1218. Watch this. Let's just try something. Everybody look straight ahead at me. Does everybody see me? Now, everybody look all the way down to the floor. Turn your head all the way down to the floor. Keep it down. Keep it down. Can you see me? Can you see anybody other than maybe a peripheral vision, one or two people sitting next to you? But can you see your feet? Can you see your hands? Can you see most of the front of your body? Yep. Because you're lapping like a dog. Bring your head up. Simply take your hands now. Put them out this way. Bring the water up. Can you still see me? Can you, can you take your eyes left and right? Can you see everyone else in this room? Are you still getting water? Are you still being fed? That's why the Lord said that's the ones I want going into battle with me. Come on, give the Lord a shout right now. Give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah.